Field Hockey Report live coming to you Wednesday, April 22nd on 12-Ounce Sports. What's up? How's it going? Cody Jansen with you here coming to you live across the 12-Ounce Sports platform. Quickly got to get to it. Of course, you already know by now, show sponsored by mybookie.ag. Use promo code 12OZSports when you sign up. They'll match your deposit up to $1,000. There's some foreign sports going on. I mean, if you're into Taiwan baseball, I think South Korea is starting up. And hey, for those of you who just want to get that itch, online casino. MyBookie.ag, promo code 12OZSports. Alrighty, quickly on the line, we are going to have Mike Camito joining the show here shortly. Steve Lansky's up at 920 and a 940. Cam Jansen, former St. Louis Blue Blues and New Jersey Devil. Wanted to get my two cents in, though it has blown up a little bit. The University of Lethbridge cutting their U Sports Hockey program. That was a, it was a shock to a lot of people, but I, I think kind of if you follow the Canada West landscape, some of those bottom-end schools are struggling. It doesn't, you know, financially, it's just not viable for them. And yeah, there was that video of, I mean, could be the athletic director, assistant dean, whoever. I don't even know if they've actually confirmed who it was. That, you know, maybe they're cracking a couple of jokes about it, but they're being realistic. That's the case. If it's costing them millions of dollars that they're throwing away on hockey and now all of a sudden they got budget shortfalls, something's got to be done. And I mean, hey, that always comes down to recreation. That's just a, you know, part of life. I'm sure they could have found some other funding. But at the end of the day, if they don't think that's viable, they don't think that they can pull that off in you know a short amount of time, I, I understand why it's going to happen. It's going to happen at the junior level. It's going to happen at the college level. It's going to happen at the pro level. It's a pandemic. It's going to affect a lot of things, and especially with you know budgets getting tightened. Wouldn't be surprised to see more dominoes falling. But hey, joining us on the line now, we got Mike Camito. Joining us, LA Kings writer, hockey historian. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Hey, not a problem. Thanks for uh, joining us. I guess it's not too early out east where you're at. But, hey, let's get right into it. I mean, you, you know, you're, you, you've really grown on social media over the last couple of years with a lot of this hockey, you know, history stuff. I, I know you've got the book and we will get into that. But how did this come about? How did how did you really get into this? And, I mean, how do you do it, honestly? Yeah, it's a great, great question. I mean, it's been, uh, I mean, I, I often ask myself, why do I continue to do it? But uh, we'll, we'll get to that a little <laughs> bit later. But, I mean, I've always loved hockey, um, always loved history. And then, you know, I was kind of going through grad school. I was working on a different topic at the time. I was actually researching the history of black bear hunting and management in Ontario. Um, and I kind of started to realize that as much as I loved that topic, it interested me. Um, you know, I obviously had a passion for hockey, and I started to think that, you know, the skills I was developing as a historian, you know, I could apply those to the, the history of hockey and kind of dip my toes in initially with doing some stuff on, on Twitter just by sharing with those daily moments in hockey history, you know, initially just kind of on their own and then increasingly kind of putting more uh, photos, GIFs and videos in there to really kind of make them go a little bit further. And then, you know, started to, you know, get into uh, blogging. Uh, and then from there just started to really realize that uh, there was a market and an appetite out there for hockey history stories written in a, a fun and accessible way. And, you know, that's kind of how kind of how it really all started. And then over the years, as you know, as following, I think it's increased uh, um, a bit. You know, I think there's been, I, I think I've been trying harder every year to dig up new stuff. I mean, ultimately, 
I think what allows me to continue to do it is that, you know, Twitter, thankfully, through those archives, you kind of go back and see what you posted the previous year. But I try to keep things fresh, especially now during uh, the pandemic. I think people are obviously starved for, you know, hockey content. So I'm trying to spice up and throw some stuff in there that maybe I hadn't had in the previous year. And so um, it's, a, it's a labor of love. So I try to get them all lined up, you know, a couple weeks in advance so that you know, I'm not spending the morning, you know, putting them together. So they're all scheduled, ready to go. But uh uh, I like to do it. It's fun. I love to see the reaction that people get uh, when they see them. So I think it's, it's all worth it. I'll keep doing it as long as it stays uh, enjoyable. Well, hey, the Biz Nasty thing gave you a little chiclets bump. So maybe that's going to blow up even more. Yeah, I mean, I think also that, that definitely uh, certainly, certainly helps. I think right now I've definitely noticed that, you know, uh, I think a lot of those tweets have been going a little bit further just because of the, the pandemic, I think. Um, you know, I've always always get a, a decent uh, response on a couple tweets throughout the year, uh, but I've noticed there's been more and more of them happening, I think, with, with more regularity during the pandemic, right? So I think that as much as obviously people love hockey, there's a huge group of people that love hockey history. I think right now, more than ever, you know, if you've got a gif of an old hockey game or an old clip or a goal or whatever it may be, um, you know, that just might resonate with somebody a little bit more now because, you know, they'll take anything from that's that's fair. You um, you're also a writer for the LA Kings as well. How did that come about? How did you kind of get into the whole writing side? Yeah, so that, that actually kind of also ties back uh, to Twitter a little bit. But I mean, to just I'll try to make it. Uh, I have to go back in time a little bit, but I'll do my best mm-hmm. to kind of speed it up. So I initially I was blogging for the Royal Half, which is a, a great LA Kings uh, fan blog. And so they had, uh, I, I was, I, I won a, it was the Royal Hot Next Top Blogger competition probably about, uh, I guess at this point now, almost four years ago. So I, I did a whole season writing for them, kind of doing a little weird Frankenstein mashup of California history with Pacific Division uh, previews and things like that. And so I got to know some of the folks, obviously you're kind of connected with the LA Kings and, you know, the hockey scene out in California. Uh, and, you know, had uh, had some good relationship with those guys. You know, I did my one season with them and then kind of moved on and started to do different things. Uh, but it just kind of happened that I was on uh, All the Kings Men podcast with, with Jesse Cohen and we were just kind of talking about how, you know, I tried after graduating to get it, like a gig with an NHL team as a historian and how a lot of the teams just kind of turned me down, you know, because they either didn't want one or they already had one or they didn't need one. Um, and so I, re- I reiterated that on Twitter how, you know, I've been unsuccessful at this point. And then actually, not too long after that, I got a message from, from the Kings saying, you know, we never got a, an email from you. And so that's literally how it started. And then I said, well, I'm happy to chat with you then if you, if you guys want to talk. And then one thing led to another. Now I'm on my uh, second season contributing to the LA Kings website. I've got about uh, 40 stories under my belt. But yeah, I think it, it definitely, I credit obviously my time with the Royal Haas writing with them. Uh, also, and ultimately social media, right? Because again, it may have happened on its own naturally that maybe this would have worked itself out, but certainly I think having Twitter and the King seeing that tweet um, is kind of what really put the wheels in motion. Hey, social media is its own beast nowadays. Um, let, let's talk a, a little bit more about the Kings. I do want to get your thoughts on the season because 
hey, they, they went through a lot of highs and now they're kind of going through those lows. It's it's just a part of sports. I mean, I think the New England Patriots are going to be the next major, not dynasty to feel it, but, you know, I, I mean, you know, you, you got to be bad to get good eventually. That's kind of just how it works. But for the Kings this season, I mean, give me your overall thoughts on this, like on the year. Like, you know, did, did you find some high notes out there or, you know, was it kind of this where you're thinking, hey, we got to turn some players over? You know, I think certainly the Kings are obviously in the middle of that rebuilding process. Um, and certainly, I think we saw, you know, the frustration on a lot of those players. I think Drew Doughty was pretty candid throughout the year. You know, that it was obviously some days were harder than others to go to the rink, especially when you're in the middle of a, of a losing streak. And this is a player who's been obviously an integral part of those two Stanley Cups. You know, he's used to winning. And now, you know, this is the second year of, of kind of being down in the basement. Um I do though think that, you know, towards the end of the season, right before, you know, the NHL pause had happened, you know, the team was on a seven-game winning streak. Um, you started to kind of see a different change in attitude. Maybe you guys are starting to be, you know, a little more happy to come to the office every day, so to speak. And so you kind of got a glimpse as to what the team, you know, might look like, you know, now that you're seeing them have fun again, right? And I think that's something that, you know, Kings fans should be optimistic about. Ultimately, I think one of the things I always think about in terms of, like, one of the high points, and I think there are some for sure to go back, but I mean, ultimately Gabe Velarde making his NHL debut um, in February, I think was, a, was an awesome moment you know, for Kings fans, but also for him, right? I mean, he had been drafted, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, pretty high, and, you know, after getting drafted, you know, had some chronic back problems, and kind of, you know, a little bit of doubts as to what that would be for his NHL career. You know, after having a good, you know, season in the A, he got called up, and, uh, you know, I think you're kind of just hoping that, you know, hopefully he has a good game. We can start to see, you know, some promise there, and hopefully, you know, become an established player with the Kings. And I think he kind of blew everybody's expectations away when he scored a goal, uh, you know, within the first ten seconds, setting an NHL record for the fastest goal uh, by a rookie at the start of a game. So, I mean, I think that that was awesome to see that happen. Um, ultimately, again, another idea of like glimmering to the a little look into the future. Um, so we've got those moments, but ultimately, I think, you know, even from my vantage point of, of kind of watching the team from afar. And also being in a city where, you know, you have a junior hockey club, you start to now think about, you know, what's the team going to look like in a few years when some of these players like Alex Turcotte and Arthur Taliev and, and whoever they draft this year, you know, start to make it into the fold and kind of complement uh, that, that existing veteran club they have. I think that's, that's the great part. Ultimately, there's always going to be tough times, but I think, you know, given the fact that the team has won, you know, two championships in recent memory, I think the fans know what it takes to win. Uh, and hopefully they're a little bit patient longer because I think, you know, ideally, uh, you know, things will start to pay off in the, in the near future. Um, the team's done a great job at, uh, you know, establishing their prospect pool and drafting it, so I think that'll only continue. Now, I mean, with you out on the East, uh, the Kings have kind of dipped into some of those prospect pools out there in the OHL, the Q and such a little bit more than... I guess I, I think I would have normally expected or seen them to do. Is there, you know, a couple of guys I know you mentioned, like Terkov, Kaliev. Is there, you know, someone else maybe who you're pretty high on, who you think that next season can actually jump into the lineup? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think that in addition to those two, I think Akil Thomas is one who, uh, again, if you watch the World Juniors this year, he was you know, he came in and scored that pivotal <laughs> goal uh, to, you know, to, to seal the championship. Uh, you know, he had, uh, you know, when I had the chance to talk to him earlier this year when he's still with Niagara, he ultimately got traded to the, to the Peets uh, towards the latter half of the season. And, you know, the Peets are kind of poised to, I think, make a run in the OHL playoffs this year, but ultimately we won't, uh, we won't get to see what that would have looked like. Uh, but 
fascinating guy as well. I think obviously his on ice play speaks for itself, but he's got a lot of cool stuff going on. He's got his own clothing company. He's apparently starting his own podcast now soon too. So I mean, he's doing big things on and off the ice. Not sure how these guys will necessarily fit into the lineup next year. I don't think that, given you know the cycle the team is on, where you know we're, I don't think we're looking to necessarily think that the team is going to be in contention. You know, next year, maybe even the year after that. So I don't would necessarily again I don't have any information on that, but I wouldn't think that they're in a rush. Uh, to bring these guys up. I think ultimately, if you're able to integrate them in a way that makes sense, um, you know, I think that's I think that's what they're going to be looking to do. But I don't imagine that they're going to be in a rush to, to pull these guys up. Um, you know, Kaliev, I think, was on he was on pace for another 50-goal season. I think he's he has one more year where he could potentially play in the OHL, but ultimately maybe look at him turning pro uh, and developing his skills elsewhere before hopefully making the jump uh, to the Kings lineup. What other changes do you expect to see them make in the lineup this summer? What what changes do you think are maybe maybe mandatory is not the right word, but what what direction do you see them taking? Is this, you know, maybe starting to flip the stone and getting rid of some of those older guys who really they're not going to win another championship? Yeah, I think it all ultimately it's going to depend on I think on where those ping pong balls land. I think, you know, obviously they have one of the deepest prospect pools in the NHL, um, you know, as, as determined by quite a few folks, I think, who have a keen knowledge on that. And so I think at some point, yeah, you're going to get to the point where you've developed your prospect pool um, and at which point you start to kind of convert some of these things, either by, like you asked earlier, bringing some of these guys into the mix or do you then determine that, you know, there's a way to bring in somebody who can start to have a more immediate impact by potentially trading off you know, some of those, you know, aging players accompanied by, you know, some of those younger pieces to try to get somebody who can maybe shorten that window. Um, I think that's something that the team is going to start to look for as well because ultimately uh, you never know with, with prospects, right? I mean, I think ultimately everyone, you, you have an idea as to how it can turn out, but um, at some point the team is probably going to have to start looking at, uh, you know, what can we do in the near term in order to kind of start to shore things up and maybe start to turn, you know, this tanker around. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to really see what happens in the summertime and where they end up falling. I think um, you know they're they're still in the position to get a really you know high pick, and especially in a really deep draft this summer. So maybe it's something that could only just add to things, and they're going to kind of keep keep going in the way they are because ultimately the payoff will be huge if all these prospects pan out and they all are able to to make the jump to the NHL and convert, uh, you know, to NHL playing. Now switching topics, just switching gears a little bit here. You, we got to get into your book a little bit before we got to let you go. But um, hockey three sixty five, unreal. I can't imagine how much time went into this, and that, that's one of the biggest things I wanted to ask you about. Is you know how long did this take? Because when I think of you know a, a generic hockey book, and this I, I love reading biographies and stuff, but. It's not just a life story. This is a lot of research. This is a lot of looking into stuff. This is a lot of you know finding a you know the the feel good stories of the game, finding the most impactful stories. Like, how did you get the idea for it, and how long did this take to, to really put to paper? I had so yeah. I, I always I wanted to write a book. Uh, I had a book deal with a with the with an academic press. You know, just to take my dissertation and turn it into a book. I realized at that point. I didn't want to do academia anymore. I wanted to really kind of focus on hockey writing. And I, you know, finally decided one day, you know, life's too short. I want to write a hockey book. And so I, I 
canceled my contract with the university press and then started pursuing this idea. And the idea really came because obviously the I think I'd been building a pretty decent archive with the with the tweets on Twitter about this happened on this day in hockey history. And I'd already written, you know, quite a few stories over the years for places like Vice and Sportsnet about, you know, hockey history moments and so got a deal to kind of focus on it as like a day of, uh, like almost a word of the day calendar, but for hockey history. Uh, I wish I could tell you it took a long time because unfortunately I had such a crazy schedule to get the manuscript flipped around that I actually only had six months to do it. So I signed the contract in August and uh, the first draft had to be handed in in January. So it was actually an insane period in my life uh, because I did have to find and then research 365 different stories. So, you know, I would spend my time kind of going through my own Twitter account to see what tweets I had in the past that I thought were significant or performed well. And then ultimately, because it's, you know, writing a book is different than sending out a tweet. You can't, you know, delete a page in your book if you got the story wrong. So I then spent, you know, significant time corroborating each of those moments to make sure that A, it did happen on that day that I thought it did and that here's the exact details. And then just kind of, you know, converting those into stories. I think ultimately, as I kind of got going on it, got into a rhythm because they're all they're all each of the stories only a page right so as as i was going you started to get into a groove as to i know how i can do this in a page and i know how to like shorten this and condense it in a way that's not gonna you know take away from the significance of the moment but also give enough details and so it was i think by month three i kind of had a a good groove going and uh but again a lot of late nights uh very patient wife uh had to take some time off work to try to get it all done uh, but to get it in on time, actually a couple days early. So, uh, I, but I would never do that again. Not at that. Not at that clip. That's unreal. Well, hey, Mike, I appreciate you jumping on. We'll have to get you on in the summer. I think we got to talk a lot more about that book. I think there's about another hour we could definitely uh, go in discussion on that. But hey, thanks for uh, getting in touch here on this Wednesday morning. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to talk to you for any time. Mike Camito. Our guest here on World Hockey Report. We're going to hit a quick break. We'll come back. Steve Lansky. You remember those baby blue blazers that Hockey Night in Canada used to wear? Well, yeah. He is one of the OGs. We're going to get him on after the break. This is World Hockey Report with Cody Jansen on 12 Ounce Sports. It's World Hockey Report live coming to you on 12 Ounce Sports. Cody Jansen with you. 920 local time Wednesday, April 22nd. Just a reminder, if you are looking to freshen up that closet a little bit, you got to go to 12ozsportsradio.com. Go into the My Store tab. Hey, everything up there. doesn't matter. You want shirts, sweatshirts, phone covers. they got new beach towels, too. Those are looking pretty sharp. That's 12ounceSportsRadio.com under the Our Store tab. Pleased, pleased to be joined. The man behind Big Mouth Sports, Steve Lansky. Steve, how's it going on this Wednesday? Pretty good, Cody. Sitting in Toronto, beautiful sunshine. Can't ask for much more. It has been nice up here. I think yesterday we got up to like plus 18, which obviously a high for the spring, but not going to complain aside from being, you know, cooped up a little bit. You still get out for a walk and still enjoy that sunshine. That's it. The daily walk is what's keeping me going, my friend. <laughs> Seems like it's that way for a lot of people. But, Steve, obviously, I mean, your your hockey ties, you know, they're rich 
throughout the Canadian hockey history. And I want to just get your thoughts quickly. You know, obviously the season hits pawns last month, but, you know, what was your thoughts on the 2019-20 the season as a whole and how things were going? Because there was some pretty cool storylines this year. Pretty good season of hockey, and I try not to think too hard about how it might end up because I find that a bit overwhelming mentally and even in my heart because I, you know, it killed me when they didn't have a Stanley Cup in 2005, and I I don't even want to think about the possibility of that again. But, you know, having been an Oilers fan for, well, I guess I started working for them in 1979, so what is that, 41 years. Uh, it would just, I don't cry a lot, but I think I would if the season didn't get finished and we didn't get to see what this Oilers team was going to do. I, I think I think there's a real possibility there. They had so much potential because when they get hot, when their star players are you know buzzing and clicking, they are one of the more unstoppable teams in the NHL. They've shown that. They've beaten all the best teams in the league. It's just a matter of kind of stringing those games along over a period of time. And, you know, obviously you got to work for the Oilers, stuff like that. You're in a Canadian market. Um, for for NHL players, though, this year, aside from the obvious, I mean, Drysaddle has to be number one here, but who, who stuck out to you? Who, who kind of made you go, holy, that was something I did not expect? You know, you mentioned Drysaddle, and I'm I'm not going to lie to you that that's the one that pops into my mind because some people have touted him as being a potential superstar, and I I was not sold. I really wasn't for a variety of reasons, and I I'm shocked. At, I'm sure there's different words, but the one that comes to mind is shocked at the kind of season he's turned in so far. It, it, it really has surprised me, and it'll be interesting to see if they play the playoffs, whether or not the Oilers will be able to keep him and David apart so that they're not a one-trick pony, so that the other team can simply shut them down whenever they want to. I think it's going to be fascinating. I really do. I have a hard time believing, though, with the way that Dreisaitl and McDavid have been playing this year, that there's a D-pairing in the NHL that can actually contain them for a, a seven-game series. I have a hard time believing. It's it's not the same Dreisaitl that we've seen last year. I mean, I, I was on the exact same side of you. I was, you know, I was kind of pessimistic, and, you know, it's a damn shame he can't get his defensive game together. Well, I, I think he really bought in this year. I hate to use those generic terms, but, you know, Dave Tippett's the best coach for him. But, but I don't think that is a generic term, Cody. I think that's exactly right. It's all about your mindset. Let's say you're 80% there, and then you use the term bought in. Well, that's 100%. Not everybody gets to 100% buy-in. That's why a lot of guys never, ever succeed in the National Hockey League. And I think you said you didn't think there was a deep bearing that could shut them down. There isn't. The problem is if they come up against a team that gets it entirely defensively, that's when you start to struggle. When they understand that it, whatever team is playing the Oilers, it will require a 100% defensive effort. That's where you see, that's what separates the men from the boys when it comes to that kind of a series and whether or not the Oilers actually have a team that can go to the next level. 
And I mean, that's, you know, going to take a lot of heat for this one, but that's why I don't think that the Flames or the Canucks would have a chance of stopping the Oilers. And Vegas, if anyone, probably has one of the best. Vegas, St. Louis, in the West. Those are the only two teams I could really see, you know, kind of playing that defensive style as a team that could cause them some problems. But uh, other than that, really, nothing too crazy. Now, I, I've been asking a lot of the Edmonton reporters this, and obviously, I mean, since you, you follow along pretty closely, you can be heard on the low tide, too, up here on TSN Radio. But if you are Dave Tippett, who's starting game one for you? Is it Koskinen or is it Smith? Oh, that's a great question. Hey, so you're assuming that we're not going to get any regular season games played, which I don't think we are. I no, think it'll no, start. No regular season, no exhibition. I mean, you're starting game one, Battle of Alberta. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Mike Smith because when Mike Smith is hot, he's... How do I explain this? Um, I think he's better on a hot streak than Koskinen is, if that makes sense. When Smith, here's what I'm trying to say. When Smith gets on a hot streak, his hot streak is better than Koskinen's. That's just my opinion. Plus, he's got more experience in that cauldron. So to me, he would start game one, but I'll tell you, if I'm Dave Tippett, I don't, there's no favorites being played there at all. And I think those two guys know that. So I think once it starts, it, it's all up in the air after literally the first 10 minutes of game one. Uh, we go from there kind of thing. Nothing, absolutely nothing would be carved in stone. Now, i got to pose this question to you because, I mean, following Mike Smith with the Flames of recent of his playoff performance, he was a 950 or an 850 goaltender. So, I mean, he was really hot or he was really bad. Um, I, I mean, we I rip on the Russian Super League, the KHL, all the time. But does Koskinen's playoff success in the KHL where I believe he's won multiple championships, or at least gone to the finals multiple times before he came to the NHL, does that have any impact on, you know, just his playoff ability where, you know, he does have some playoff experience, although it's not the NHL, it's still playoffs? Yes, it has some, but (laughs) minimal, because the Gagarin Cup is not the Stanley Cup, and there's just no other way to say that. The players here are better, they have a very strong drive to succeed and win the Stanley Cup. I think that drive exists in the KHL and with KHL players, but maybe not to the same degree as it does here. I mean, they live and breathe it here, and I think that if you got Miko Koskin in a lucid moment, he would say the cauldron here is much hotter and, and much, <laughs> much deeper than it is in any other league in the world. And that includes the Finnish Elite League, Sweden, KHL, anywhere. This is where you want to be, and this is where the pressure is. 100% agree with you on that side. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, let's talk about current broadcasters in the game. Obviously, I mean, you, you've seen them all. Who's some of your favorite current broadcasters where, you know, if you're watching a hockey game or listening to a hockey game and you, you flip them on, you're like, yeah, this is this is exactly what I wanted to hear when I'm watching a hockey game on TV or radio. You know, it's funny. I, you're, so as you're phrasing that question, I'm running names through my mind, and I never did get past Gordon Miller and Ray Ferraro because for, for a million different reasons. Gordon Miller is really good at calling a game with an economy of words, but he's also not afraid to ask Ferraro a question, and he's not afraid to banter with Ferraro. 
And the thing I love about Ray Ferraro is he doesn't just talk about what he's seeing in the replay. He talks about things outside the replay as we're watching it. You know, we're not morons. We can see what happened. The pass went here, went through this guy's legs, that guy, you know, shelved it. We get it. We can see that. I don't need a repeat of that. I need something fresh and new while we're watching the replay. And Ray Ferraro does that. I think those two in the last, I'll say three years, have just clicked it up another level to where they really are the only pair in Canada that, that is on their level. They're the best. They're the, they're the best. I mean, you actually you, you hit the nail on the head. That's those are exactly my favorites. That's it's it's not half the reason the World Juniors is so special, but it's half the reason the World Junior broadcasts are better than anything else. I get it. TSN's production for that. You know, the budget's obviously skyrocketed, but having them behind the calls on all the biggest games, it just makes it so much better. It, it honestly does. There's no one who can compare to those two. Talking earlier about 100% buy-in, and to me, Miller and Ferraro, you know, use whatever air quotes you want. They get it. They get that this is an entertainment business. We're there to entertain and inform, but entertain is a big component. And when I look at a lot of play-by-play and analyst combinations, they get the inform part, but they don't seem to get the entertain part. They don't get that it's okay to have a laugh. It's okay to enjoy each other. It's okay to poke a little fun at something. That's not sacrilegious in hockey broadcasting. And I've, I've kind of reached the point in 2020 where I get really turned off when guys take it like it's, you know, we're doing this game between funerals, so we have to be completely somber and not have any fun. If, we're not, if you're not having any fun in the broadcast booth, what kind of fun do you think I'm having watching? Answer, zero. No kidding. Is there any current broadcasters? And I mean, you don't have to name names if you don't want to. But you know, say you're you're falling asleep. It's a Saturday night. You're going through the channels. You click on one randomly, and you're like, "Are you shitting me? I gotta listen to this guy or these guys." Is there someone for you that you just you know can't stand? Well, I won't name names, but <laughs> Hockey Night in Canada's current lead team is not my favorite. And I will leave it at that. You've done a lot with Hockey Night in Canada. And I mean, we don't have to, to pick on things. I mean, I've been pretty open where I say, hey, I mean, the broadcast industry, if they just want to keep taking every single former player who wants to get into it, it's going to turn into a real damn shame pretty quick. But w- what, in your opinion, could Hockey Night in Canada do better then? You know, Cody, uh, I should start by saying it's, if you want to get into that deeply, uh, I'd be happy to come on again because, honest to God, I, I texted somebody yesterday and I said, I might be talking about Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow on the podcast. And he said, uh, have they laid aside six hours? And we laughed. <laughs> but that, that, honest to God, is I wouldn't, even know, I wouldn't even know where to begin. It's like when you have a machine and you add and take away little parts of it over the years, in the end... It doesn't even resemble the same machine. And I think a lot of us who produced the show, and I produced Hockey Night for five years, I think a lot of us who produced the show uh, romanticize the way it used to be and the way it was. But so many things have morphed and changed and slid and um, become something that is not, it's just not good television over the years 
that it, I think that you, you literally have to cut it right down to the wood and start from scratch if you wanted to bring it up to where it should be, which is, let's face it, the most important sports television show in the world. There's no other way to say it. That's what it is. It has gotten to a point now, and I mean, I, I know a few people on the broadcast, so, you know, it's not like I'm ripping on them. I do, I, I honestly really enjoy Colby Armstrong, you know, whenever he gets his opportunity there. But it's, it's gotten to a point where it's so repetitive. It's the exact same thing every year. And I mean, I, I think back to when I was a kid, you know, watching the, the Mika Kipper sauce, Matt Sundin's, you know, Brett Hall's. Hockey Night in Canada was something different every single Saturday, and it was something I really looked forward to. So it is a little bit of a shame in that sense where it's almost gotten stale. Um, we got about two minutes now. I did want to ask you because you tweeted out something the other day. It was a funny Don Cherry thing. Do you have a, a funny one funny Don Cherry story that sticks out to you from your time working with him? between Montreal and Philadelphia. I don't know what year it was. I guess it was 86 or 87 in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I just happened to be in the studio with Cherry and McLean and the lighting guy who was asleep in the corner, but he has to be there because it's union. So we're in the uh, small studio in the forum in Montreal, and, and we're just chatting before the game. I've done a feature. I've given my feature to the truck. I've basically got nothing to do but watch the game, and I'm sitting there. And Ron and Don are watching, and all of a sudden this brawl comes on the monitor. And we're like, is this going on on the ice? So I run out of the studio. They can't leave because they don't know when somebody might come to them for a live report or a news report, or they don't have any idea. So I run out, and it was probably only 45 feet to the ice surface, and I look, and this guy's all over the ice. And I came back into the studio, and I said to them, this guy's all over the ice. I said, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And Don said, what do you mean? What do you mean it's stupid? That's hilarious. Wow. What a way to end it. We are going to have to bring you on. We can go on for hours, as you said, about Hockey Night in Canada. It, it is still uh, alive to the podcast form. Comes out iTunes, wherever you get those. Comes out about noon today. So Steve Lansky, our guest, thank you so much for joining us on this Wednesday morning. It's been a blast. And we will be sure to get you back on sometime this summer. Sounds good. My pleasure, Cody. Take care. What an interview. Hockey Night in Canada, one of the old producers. Hey, great idea. You have to check it out too, Big Mouth Sports. He's got a great website up there. There's so much. I mean, I know we talked to Mike Camito about some of that hockey historian stuff. Big Mouth Sports. I mean, if you want breakdowns of playoff series, Canada Cups, whatever, I mean, the summaries are just, they're, they're second to none. You got to go check those out. Steve Alansky on Big Mouth Sports. Alrighty, we got to go to commercial break when we come back. Sorry, my bookie. Big guest of the day, Cam Jansen, former St. Louis Blues and New Jersey Devils. Tough guy joins us right here 
It's the World Hockey Report with Cody Jansen on 12 Ounce Sports. It's the World Hockey Report live coming to you on 12 Ounce Sports. Cody Jansen with you, joined with Cam Jansen, now former St. Louis Blues, New Jersey Devil. Now, he's got his home on radio and the Cameron Strick podcast. you got to go check that out. Hilarious, hilarious talk with Dustin Penner in their most recent episode. Cam, how's it going on this Wednesday morning? Oh, is it Wednesday? I don't even know because every day is the exact same. The it, exact same. No, it's just nice, man. I, like, I, again, I, we, we talk, I, I do the radio in the office. I do the podcast in the office. I do all the video stuff that you need to do, the, the Zoom calls and whatnot. I think I've been on my phone more than uh, the rest of my life combined in the last three months. Oh, exactly. I'm scared to look at my screen time on my iPhone. I, I don't know how to delete that, but they really oh. should get rid of it. Cam, let's let's we'll get right into it. Hey, I mean, you, you played in the Null, which you know that that's kind of where was that your first stop in juniors? Then I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, it was right after AAA. I think I was like 15, 16. I started to like you know become a man at a younger age, kind of thing. Like I was getting developed, I was strong, and I I made the St. Louis thing, so I didn't have to leave my family, which is a big thing. So I got to go to high school, and then I have games on the night, at night, you know, on the weekends, and all my buddies from high school would come watch me play, and that's when there was four or five monsters on each team. Like, it wasn't the, you know, it's the college kind of theme that's going on right now, where you kind of go in there and you go, no, there was monsters, and I'm a young kid, just got my driver's license. My dad would have to drop me off uh, once in a while with some of the practices and stuff like that, but then i go out there and fight all the 21-year-old kids, and you know, some got men, I should say, and, you know, sometimes you get your butt kicked, and then, uh, you know, you figure it out, and you get your confidence, you build your confidence, and then, of course, a year after that, I went to the uh, Windsor Spitfires. Now, it was, uh, I mean, the, the toughness was dying down, but yet again, I mean, when I was in Witchy, Paul Baxter running the organization, I mean, uh, I'm sure you've heard of him through the hockey world, oh, yeah. but it was like, oh, yeah. uh, we didn't, like, you know, kind of your third line, you still wanted to be able to play hockey. No, it didn't matter. Like, if you weren't over 6'3", 200 as a junior player, you weren't playing on the third or fourth line. Like, they still it – was, it was run for the fans' appreciation. And in non-hockey markets, as I mean, I'm sure you saw with, you know, some of the smaller places, especially down in Texas, like, the fans love the tough stuff. And that's just what they built for. They're built for selling tickets, not for going to college like it is nowadays. I could imagine you were just the king of high school down there too, eh? Like, you know, being a student and being like, you know, on the, the local junior hockey team, there, there's just, there's nothing better at that age. <laughs> Dude, 
all the guys were older than me on the team. They all had, you know, nice cars. And I mean, not that they made any money, but it's just you looked up to them. They all had tattoos, and you know, they, you know, they're they're wanting to go out and hang out with girls all the time. You're like, holy cow! I'm like, sorry, high school buddies. I'm not going. I'm hanging out with my older buddies on the team now, and you just grow up quick uh, in that way. But but yeah, it was it was it was fun, man. It was uh, it was fun to show off, go to school. Yeah. Our team gave us a, a beeper at the time, so I'm in high school walking around with a beeper. My, it would go off in class, and everybody's like, "Woo!" I'm like, well, no, you know, I got to use it. You know, uh, they uh, it was I don't know I don't know why I was able to do little things like that. Maybe because it was it was, it was junior hockey. I, I didn't get it, but I got a pass from the school. But yeah, it was it was surreal in many ways. Oh, it's a, a different lifestyle. Moving along, uh, one, one of our you know favorite things to ask is you know what do you remember about your first NHL game and and kind of the lead up because I believe your first pro year was the you know the lockout year, correct? Where the American League was you know just the the wildest league in the world, right? And then it was the following year you made your NHL debut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that old. What was it like, though? I mean, you said your parents drove you to the rink. Like, I mean, are you, you sitting there, you pissing your pants or what? Like, are you kind of like, well, you know, I, I played against some of the, like, I mean, that American League the year before, like, there was some unreal heavies, but, like, there was also some ridiculous skill in guys who were leading the league. Like, did you kind of feel like, yeah, actually, I think I'm ready for the NHL at that point? Simple game. That sounds like hockey in the Midwest. <laughs> who is who is who is your first NHL tilt, and how did that go? Oh, that's a good question. I think I think it was Aaron Ashen. Oh, and we probably kicked the crap out of each other. I mean, like would, just toe-to-toe, and then all of a sudden, you know, you know, 
you know, my first like five fights were really, really good. And then the big, and then the, the middleweight kind of guys are like, nah, I'm done with you. And then I had to go for the big, big, big boys. And then they become good, but they're just a little different. You had to change your style. But I just knew it. Lou Lamorello was watching me from above, and he knows, like, I'm going to put a show on for that man. And for the, you know, for the fans, like, you know, you play in the NHL for the first time, there's 20,000 people there. I'm like, okay, yeah, like, let's, like, let's go. I want to put a show on. Wasn't it Ashton with crazy long arms, too? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, he's my size. And we just, we just had sick tilts. And Don Cherry put our fights on the rock'em, sock'em. That's when you know you're next, too, by the way. The best. When you got, you got (laughs) D. Cherry doing that. Oh, I loved it. Loved it, man. I had him on the pod, too, by the way. Yeah, no, I heard that one. That was that that was great. Just because I mean, like like you and Andy, like you guys are able to to have a good conversation with guys, and you brought out some of his personality, which honestly, like I've heard him on other shows, and even I listen to the Grapevine too. But like, he doesn't go that deep into his personality. He had some pretty funny stories on there. I definitely enjoyed that one as well. Cam Jansen, our guest. Cam, what's one any City that you you wish you would have played in? I mean, I'm sure. You know, there, there's obviously the fun cities, the New Yorks. You know, if you're making money living downtown, not a bad place to be. But was there one city in the NHL that you're like, ah, I would have loved to have a little stint here? Let me, before I get to that, let me just say the best thing that's ever happened to me is being drafted by the New Jersey Devils and being under Lou Lamoureux's helm because he, he, he made, he turned your discipline. You're automatically disciplined under that man. And I needed it and I loved it. And my mom and dad loved him. So much, and there's times where I call them, and I, I'm like, I think Lou's mad at me, and they would yell at me so much. You better not disappoint them. He saved us. Like my parents are so broke. Lou signed me when I was 18 years old. Gave me a couple hundred grand. And I'm like, okay. And I was able to work out, take care of my parents a little bit, breathe a little bit, and just focus on hockey. He saved like, like so. Like my parents will never ever forget about that man. Anyway, um, uh, I forgot. The, oh yeah. Tate playing in St. Louis, that helps out my, my second career. Now I get to do whatever I want. Have my own podcast on my own radio show. You're playing in your hometown. Everybody knows you. You could monetize that. It's perfect. But the one team I would like to play for, though, is a couple. Chicago would be cool, too. Don't get me wrong. Montreal would be cool. New York. But if you play for Toronto, you're in the Mecca. <laughs> if you're the man in Toronto, like Wendell and Ty and Belak and Darcy and Sunday, like, you're the man. You are in the mecca of hockey, and if you're under that alumni, and you could just always, you're just set up for life, man. If you go and you play for that, uh, that that Leafs uniform, and you bleed for that team, and you're a warrior, you could do whatever you want for the rest of your life in that town, and you're in the middle of hockey mecca. Does that make sense? Oh, you can make an extra couple of bucks doing some advertisements there too. I'm sure you wouldn't have minded oh that. The endorsement sides, it's ridiculous up there. It's like a Carla Koyakabo crap. I go, Carla, you're lucky you got traded in the league. So you start. I go, you're lucky. Now he's doing TSN. We <laughs> hit with him all the time in the morning. Oh, just a great guy. But yeah, dude, you play for the Leafs. Everybody knows you. Okay, I gotta ask you. At the end of your career, you also went over to the EI. I mean, I know a bunch of guys who have gone over there. What was that like? Because I, I, there's still some pretty tough guys, but also like the lifestyle's totally different. Like it is a culture shock. Yeah, it was awesome, man. And don't get me wrong. You know, I've played ten years in the show. You know, I, I'm pretty popular. Like they treated me probably the best you possibly could be treated anywhere. You know, like we go over there like. Kate and I, just, they just loved us. But I worked my ass off for them. And I went out there and 
fought and put on a show and played like I would. Because a lot of these NHL guys go over there and like, eh, I'm going to toe drag. <laughs> Sometimes it works. Most of the time, they don't even want to deal with it. They're going over there to hang out. I went over there, and Corey Nielsen, the coach, we had such an awesome team. The fans were packed every night. They wanted to see something, and I brought it for them, man, every single night. And if Kate and I ever need to go back to England, we could do whatever the hell we want. <laughs> and not even in England, too. But even the fans, they hated, they hated you at the beginning. But now they get all, they listen to the podcast. I think our podcast is like great four over there in hockey podcasts right now. Because they all I interacted with all the fans, even in Scotland, when they're making fun of me the whole damn time. And it just, Kate and I can go over there right now, and we'd, have, we'd be comfortable in any place in Great Britain. Put it that way. And I'm not exaggerating on that either. That's unreal. It's awesome to hear, I mean, that they take care of you. I know that there's, you know, some places I, I got stuck over in Czech Republic and, you know, that was just a nightmare. Like, you know, it was there. no one on our team spoke English. Our, our coach didn't speak a lick. None of the teammates did. And it was just an absolute nightmare. That's a tough. I got about two. two. Oh, what do you say? I said the Brits are so awesome. They speak English. They all drink. They love fighting. They're crazy. They're awesome. Oh, it's definitely, it's it's an emerging hockey country. It is. It really is. Now, we got about two, three minutes here. i got to ask you. you got two two teammates that really stuck out when I go through your career. you got McGillney and you got Big Walt. I mean, you can choose, but I'd love to hear a funny story about one of them. Oh, well, I got, well, <laughs> let me tell you about Alfo. I was there Let me tell you about this man, this man. From, he comes over here, has a twig defect, and he had a, leave his family, hardcore. Like, I had Kobe on the other day, and it's, like, easy for him to come over, but Elmo, in the early 90s, late 80s, like, when you, like that was really hard. That guy's been through a ton. He had a you know, Hall of Fame career. Then he plays in Jersey, and I get there. And he wasn't playing great. He's already won his cups. And all of a sudden, Lou puts him on my line, fourth line. And, you know, he's making a lot of money, and he puts me, and I was so bad trying to play with him because I'm dumping it in and trying to kill guys. He had to adapt to my game and he never complained to me one time ever. Always talked to me. Always popped my tires up even if I didn't get the puck in the net. And I know he was rattled the whole time. Always hit me on my ass or anything. Then he'd sit down and talk to me about money. And I'm like, can't you just go right over my head because he's such a smart man. And he, he's like, can you got to do this, you got to do it. I'm like, dude, I, I'm just spending it right now, man. I don't, I don't, I don't you're cool. But I sat there and I listened to him. Alexander McGillney, unbelievable human being. Keith Kachuk is probably my favorite teammate ever. He is the funniest human being you'll ever meet in your life. He was so funny. He was so funny when he made fun of Paul Korea in the locker room. So funny when he made fun of our head coach, Andy Murray, every single day. He was the funnest guy I've ever played with. The coolest, one of the coolest guys I've ever played with. Good friend of mine. He lives in St. Louis. His kids are awesome. His daughter is probably the toughest one in the family besides his wife, Chantel. Great family. Love them all. That's awesome. Cam Jansen, can't thank you enough for joining us on the World Hockey Report this morning. Thank you for taking the time. Anytime, dude. Cam Jansen. Wow. Oh, boy, that guy's got stories for days. That was uh, that was really cool. And so thanks to him for joining us. Of course, hey, Mike Camito joined us this morning. Great talk. Their podcast is going to be up iTunes, Google Play, wherever you want to find it. Steve Lansky as well. Boy. There's, there's some great Hockey Night in Canada stories that we could definitely get into. That's a little spell with Don. 
tip of the iceberg. That's hilarious. And Cam Jansen, unreal. Of course, hey, you want to support the 12-ounce sports, go to mybookie.ag, sign up. First deposit, use promo code 12OZ Sports. They're going to match it up to $1,000. That's going to do it. For today's show, 9.58 local time, Wednesday, April 22nd. Pete's Power Plays is coming up next <clears throat> next week on the show. Jillian Kemmerer, that'll be a good one. Talk a little bit of KHL. Sam Faber as well. And Chris Faber, wow, two Fabers booked up. Maybe get some Canucks talk in there as well. And the women's game, MWHL to Toronto. That'll be interesting. Alrighty, that's going to do it. Got to get out of here until... Next week, Cody Jans and World Hockey Report signing out for 12-ounce sports. Have a good day.